Hello, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. And we'd like to welcome you to this episode of Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through Jason Lyle's book, Keeping Faith in an Age of Reason. And Lyle here uh, looks at um, alleged Bible contradictions, and he shows that they're really not contradictions. Right? Yeah. 420 of them, and uh, we're only going through a few of them. Pick out kind of the, the juicier details and yeah. kind of expand upon it a little bit more. Showing that this book is really a good kind of jumping off point. It definitely has a lot of good information into it, but uh, there's always more study that you can yeah. do. Yeah, good. Yeah, in fact, this book can be used as a reference book because mm -hmm. it deals with so many of these particular issues. So in this chapter, this one is called Differences in Detail. And what he does in this chapter is he, uh, he says some scripture uh, passages provide details that seem to be incompatible with details in other places in the scripture. And so... You compare scripture in this area with scripture in that area, talking about the same thing, and they seem to be incompatible, or some might call contradictions, right? And so that's what he wants to look at in this, those types of things here, differences in details. The detail says this here, uh, in this other passage that's talking about the same thing, it has different details. And so what's going on here? Is this a contradiction, right? right. Well, and it's, it's interesting that how the, the Bible is laid out uh, for this. You have different books in both the Old and the New Testament providing multiple accounts or uh, a, a further furtherization of an account by a different author. Uh, and those tend to be kind of, I think, the majority of the ones that um, are focused on as part of the alleged contradictions showing Matthew didn't know what Mark was talking about and vice versa, although supposedly everyone copied from Mark. Yeah. And it seems odd that you're going to get those ones. Yeah. Or you have... The same author writing in one chapter, chapter being what we have kind of taken on as the nomenclature of this is chapter one, this is chapter two. None of these had chapters or verses. Those were added much, much later. But uh, that, so like M Moses in Genesis 1 is writing at uh, different details or, or is messed up in the very next chapter. Even yeah, though yeah. It's more than likely within the same page on the same scroll. Right, right. And and so we'll see a couple of those in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels mm -hmm. as well, in this particular chapter. So let's kind of dive right in and see um, uh, what, uh, what we can come up with here. So the first thing that we wanted to look at is in 157. Yeah. All right, so this one says, did the city of Ai exist... After Joshua destroyed it, right? Joshua eight twenty eight indicates that it was destroyed. Joshua eight twenty eight, but Nehemiah seven thirty two mentions people coming from Ai, implying that it still existed. So, did it exist? Was it destroyed? What's going on here? Is this a contradiction? Mm -hmm. Right. All right. So, um, you know what's interesting here is the time periods involved are hundreds of years very apart. very far apart yeah uh, it, 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 israel exists in between that time it ceases to exist yeah. and is brought back from captivity yeah. then goes back into captivity <laughs> and comes back out of captivity right that right. takes place between joshua <laughs> and nehemiah so there's a huge time difference here yeah. so that's that's what uh, Lyle suggests is going on here, at least part of it. He says this is specious reasoning and failure to distinguish different times, right? Uh, so clearly the city of Ai was utterly destroyed according to Joshua 8.28, right? And remained unoccupied at least during the time of the book of that, uh, the, during the time that the book of Joshua was mm -hmm. written, right? But then, you know, the city clearly had to be, if it's in existence during the time of Nehemiah, uh, 
wrote was um, had to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I mean, that explains that, you would think. After hundreds of years or so, somebody else came along and rebuilt the city. Yeah. Right? It would be like if uh, people who live in kind of the, the shadow of Pompeii today say, well, oh, I thought Pompeii was destroyed. Yeah. Well, right, it was at some <laughs> point, but then because of human progress over hundreds of thousands of years, yeah, uh, yeah. Pe- people live there now again. Um, especially if you still have war back then was not uh, as big infrastructure decimating as, as what it, it, it is today where yeah. we think of bombs and everything like right. that there was still some of it back then but for the most part you still have um, just the military going up against the military and even if they do sack the city it's they, they most of the time conquest wants to preserve cities so right because you, right, you want it for yourself but, uh, absolutely yeah. why, why rebuild Rome in, in, in two days so there's about, you know, somewhere around a thousand year gap here. And so, you know, clearly the city was rebuilt. So that's a really, you know, that's, so that's an, uh, an illustration of how you can take things out of context and try to, you know, say, hey, look, there's a problem here. No, not really. There's a time gap here. And the city uh, was rebuilt. That's a, that's a real easy way to explain this. Yeah. All, right. All right. So that was an easy one. So yeah. <laughs> 158, uh, we'll, we'll swing the opposite direction. All right. It'll be a hard one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Does God want some to go to hell? Whoa. Yeah. So, wow. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, 2 Peter uh, 3, 9 contradicts uh, Proverbs 6, 4, John 12, 40, Romans 9, 18, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. So one, one passage just says that he does, and the other passage just says that he doesn't. Yes, yeah, right. right. So, so uh, Lyle terms this as the equivocation fallacy on the word want specifically. Want uh, is is we can think of it as a desire. So, um, I have a desire for it to stop snowing is different than I have a desire to feed my family. Mm. So mm. here, I, I've I've given an example where I can have a change in desire. Uh, the, the the word want um, means something um, different in each of those cases. So when we read the Bible and people pull this, and and I've seen this time and time again from from. Uh, skeptics on this single issue um why can't god have the the same differentiation of desires that that we do Mm. i have a desire for my wife is different than i have a desire for chocolate cake or whatever it is right right that's what uh that's what god is uh is is like in in this this, uh, question here and you know he gives the illustration does a righteous just want to sentence a serial murder to death Well, in one sense, no. Nobody wants to sentence anybody to death, right? It, you know, it'd be uh, it's upsetting to condemn people and that sort of thing. So he may not enjoy it. Yet, in another sense, the judge does want this because you know, and, and it, you know, it's it's the right penalty, and he wants to do justice, right? Yeah. So we we have we have this understanding that God is love and God is you know all powerful. So why doesn't he, he you know save everyone? Well, God is also just, so we we understand that we're held to uh, the responsibility for our actions, uh, even though uh, God um, decrees uh, the ends of the means, but we're still held accountable to um, to the punishment of being disobedient, and um, and so in in that sense too, God is both all powerful and loving, but He also has to be just because uh, an unjust God isn't loving, and He's not all powerful. Right, yeah. um, and then on on the opposite end of the spectrum too, uh, we realize that God 
desire for creation is to glorify himself. And so um, one of the means by which he shows uh, all aspects of his character is by being a judge. And so that's one of the reasons why um, uh, people in the reform camp or um, different denominations um, talk about um, how God cannot um, or does not uh, save everyone so that it shows his uh, justice and, and, and mercy as well. Mm-hmm. Those are only available in the possible world where not everyone is saved. Uh, whether or not William Lane Craig agrees with us is probably <laughs> up, to, up to distinguish. Yeah, yeah, good. So, you know, God doesn't approve of sin, and so he, he, would, he would be pleased to save everyone, but, you know, clearly he, he will allow people to continue down the path that they choose to continue down, right? God will honor, um, Lyle tells us, people's perverse choice and allow them to experience the consequences of their depravity, mm-hmm. right? Up to a certain point, God yeah. still uh, talks about he still holds back um, the full desire of sinful man because if we did, we'd be even worse uh, state than we currently are. So um, mm-hmm. there is some... Restraint. Restraint, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's just read a couple of these scriptures so that folks understand what's going on here with regard to So the first Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right, so God desires people to come mm-hmm. to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all people to be saved. And what about on the other side of this one? Uh, we'll pull from John twelve forty. Uh, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Mm-hmm. Or Romans nine eighteen. So he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. That's a that's a really big passage. That right. You're yeah. Talking about so the, so he yeah. allows judgment to take place on these folks, right? Uh, that that turn away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's not by anything that we do this is this is uh, the, the plan of god so but we we don't want to get into thinking um that at any point in time I'm, I'm outside of the ability for god to save me because i'm just too far gone i'm too bad i'm i've done too many things i've, I've done i've done the hundred thing when 99 god could have come in and saved me this is especially romans 9 says that he will have mercy on whom he has mercy no matter what they've done no matter what time period they've done and that gives us a lot of hope too. That's not always a, uh, 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 a a scary thing that we tend to think of. Oh well, does he have mercy on me? Does he not have mercy on me? This says that even the worst person in the world, the the the, the person on their deathbed or the mass murder, can always come to faith and, in Christ and, and be saved. Mercy. Yeah, yeah, good. All right. Yeah, I'm reminded of the rich guy who. You know, uh, it's his money. He can do with it what he wants, right? If he mm-hmm. wants to give you a million dollars and not give me, you know, I can't say, well, that's not fair because it's his money. <laughs> Although I think that's hate speech in today's world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Next one here is uh, 170. Is that what we said we would do here? Yeah. So here we're playing the blame game, right? <laughs> this is like our early uh, ancestors, right? <laughs> Especially for who we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> who was to blame for original sin, right? So again, we're falling right in that. First Timothy two fourteen says that Eve, or at least at least implies that, and Romans five twelve says that no man, that is Adam, was to blame. So who was the blame? So let's let's yeah. look at those passages. Yeah, uh, these are. Uh, Real uh, good ones to use. First uh, Timothy two fourteen. And Adam was not deceived, 
but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And then Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and the death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all have sinned. So right. Adam is our, our head, and so we unfortunately get the, uh, the, 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 um, the original sin. Right, from from Adam, right? Now, we might say that Eve was the first one to sin, right? But it came into the world as a result of Adam's mm-hmm. sin, right. Right? right? Yeah. And so he calls this one an equivocation again on the word sin. Adam alone is to blame, he says, for original sin, right? Because he deliberately broke God's law, right? right? Uh, so this is the meaning of the word translated sin in, in, um, in the Romans passage, right? Amakia. Yeah. Notice that First Peter does not state that Eve sinned. It does not use the word armatia, right? Eve did transgress God's law before Adam, so she did do it before mm-hmm. Adam. But unlike Adam, she was deceived. So the Bible uses a different word for transgression, committed in ignorance, as he does for sin. But both were wrong. Right? God is the standard, and he sets the standard. And if we fail to meet his standard then we have done wrong, right? That's the idea right. here. So even though it says Eve transgressed, that is, she did not meet the standard that God uh, had set. And, of course, Adam's sin, again, he did not, that's what sin is, transgressing, going past, or not meeting the standard that God set, yeah. right? We always think, too, that Adam was far off and Eve was just by herself when the serpent approached. Uh, but that's that, that doesn't always seem to be the case if, if you're reading Genesis. Plus, on top of this, too, um, we have to understand that uh, the way that, that um, God is thinking about this is kind of this federal headship of, well, how, how, can, we, how can we be held accountable for uh, the sin of one, ma- of one man? But that has to be true if, through Christ, we're all held accountable So if it works with Christ, then we can say it works with Adam. It's kind of like it's kind of like genetics, right? Why, you know, do my kids have to be held accountable for the big (laughs) nose that I have, right? Well, that's just kind of the way it works, you know. (laughs) And 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 so we we have a, a hard time with this because we're more egalitarian in our society, so. um we, we don't really think about this, but at the same time, too, uh, up until uh, probably uh, a little bit after women's suffrage, um, the idea that uh, people who voted in this country, you know, that held property and, and, and had all these things, voted for the household. And so that, that it wasn't a, oh, we don't want terrible women to vote. It was uh, an understanding of, of the man being the head of the household and in conjunction with his family, kind of from the ground up, this is their one vote. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we see, too, of being held responsible for the sin of Adam. So, unfortunately, the DNA gets passed. <laughs> but at the same time, it's glorious because once we're grafted into God's family, we have a new Ooh, father. Jesus and it, it's it's um, important, too, that, uh, especially uh, Romans, I believe, uh, talks about the second Adam mm-hmm. being Christ. He mm-hmm. fulfills... Uh, the role of priest that Adam failed to, to do, he uh, fulfilled the role of, of, of um, grafting in um, the, the children that he had. Uh, Adam was physical, uh, Jesus were, were spiritually um, created. Um, so we have a lot of parallels um, between first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, Christ, yeah. that, um, that allows us to um, meet all the 
necessary expectations that we're made righteous and holy and being able to call um, God Father and be uh, children of God, not grandchildren of God. So there's no you know, secondary <laughs> offspring Sorry. that we're either all children of Satan, which falls under sin in the first Adam, or we're all children of God. Yeah, yeah, good. All right. 175 is the next one I think that we said yeah. we wanted to take a look at. Um, always, always an interesting uh, Bible study if you ever get a chance. Uh, 175 says, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? Exodus 3.4 and Mark 2.26 says God, but Exodus 3.2, so again, two previous verses before the yeah, 4. before the 3.4. Yeah. <laughs> and Acts 7.35 says it was the angel of the Lord. Um, and uh, this one, uh, while terms is a bifurcation fallacy, God the Son spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Obviously, that's that's what we clearly read. But again, backing up two verses before that, uh, calls it the angel of the Lord. So God the Son, is, is his contention, is the angel of the Lord, is the person who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And we see this isn't the only case of the angel of the Lord um, appearing. Uh, Gideon is, is one that I've done a study on where um, you have, uh, it's, it's different than kind of, the angels that we think of. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, it's so literally about, the word means, at least in the Greek, a messenger, right? Right, right, yeah. yep. Um, and, and their an, uh, angel does, uh, doesn't always necessarily mean heavenly beings. It, right. it depends on the context. So we would say this was a pre-incarnate yeah. uh, appearance of Christ, right? right? Um, and, and you see that too, especially in, um, in Judges with Gideon, because uh, the angel of the Lord is bowed down to, uh, he's worshipped. He, mm, he takes mm, an offering mm -hmm. um, uh, in um, uh, wrestling with the angel of the Lord, um, uh, Jacob. Jacob. Um, he um, also uh, takes worship. He also um, uh, all the times that that uh, there's an encounter with that. Uh, it's clear that this is um, someone who isn't. Uh, what we see in like revelations where it's a, a uh, an angel is bound out to and he says no no, no right, uh, you know right. you don't worship me right he accepts the worship yeah um we see it too in um isaiah 6 uh so that the, the isaiah meeting with uh the pre-incarnate christ is who he sees on the on the yeah. throne of god right. too yeah good. so right. it's it's a really good study for for those who want to, to continue it it's, it's uh, really neat to see just uh, especially in the Old Testament, especially in light of kind of current Jewish teachings, how uh, how how much it parallels uh, uh, who Christ is. Mm, mm, yeah, good. All right. Uh, next one is one seventy five. Question here is: Did God kill all the Egyptian cattle in the sixth plague? Right. In other words, were all the cattle killed? Right? Yeah. Exodus nine three through six says yes, all the cattle were killed. Mm -hmm. However, cattle still existed a few verses later in Exodus 9, yeah. um, 19 and Exodus 12, 29, implying that not all of them died. So what in the world is going on here, right? Just a few verses later, cattle have popped up again in the text. Yeah, that, right? that seems odd that all of them would be killed and then all of a sudden they're So, so they're why don't there. we look at Exodus uh, chapter 9, that first portion of it yeah. in 3 through 6. So that the... the uh, uh, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon the livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flock, 
for the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, and it continues on. Yeah. That's uh, 9.3 through 6, and then 9.19 says, Therefore send your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die, and hail falls on them. So here's another plague, and it says, Hey, you know, you need to protect your livestock because they're going to die. But earlier it says that the... the, the uh, the, the hail, yeah. Yeah, the, earlier it says in, in uh, 9, uh, what is that, six, uh, 3 through 6, three it six. says that, um, you know, that uh, the severe plague will be upon your livestock and mm -hmm. that are in the field and the horses, and, and so, uh, and then they die, right. right? So what's going on here? Well, real clearly, you need, he says, this is for you to read the text carefully, right? right? Yeah. There's a phrase that we perhaps read over too quickly mm -hmm. in this particular one, right? Um, in Exodus chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, notice it says, The hand of the Lord will fall with a severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. Mm -hmm. So there's our fa f uh, phrase right there. So which, which livestock died? Right, just all the ones that were in the field. The ones that were in the field, right? So all of them didn't die, at least with that particular plague. Yeah. Right? So in in the geographic area of Egypt, all of them died that were in the field. So right. uh, taking all and then specifying. Yeah. yeah. And then so when it's so the next time when the when the next issue is coming up in in chapter nineteen, then yeah, there's still livestock. There are the livestock that were. In, apparently in shelters and not in the field and okay. they they were still alive and so now they needed to be re-sheltered mm -hmm. otherwise they were going to get de dealt a blow well and then and then egypt too is a, a trading hub so you still have people coming in and bringing i mean i'm sure if, if egypt suddenly called for uh, a, a mass buy of, of cattle and horses and whatever else uh, they're losing they're going to bring it in so yeah. um mm -hmm. the the time period too here is is important as far as when each plane is. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, so, so far, we're batting a thousand or a hundred. Yeah. hundred percent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no contradictions. And once we clearly look at the text and understand what's going on. Yeah. All right. Uh, so our next one is uh, number 189. Did Jesus ask God to save him from crucifixion? Mm. Uh, well, it seems like Mark he cried. He, he, he prayed about that, right? I, I mean, I think it's one of the important points that <laughs> that, that is told in, in, in uh, during the Easter time. So, um, what are the, the the passages for this one? So, uh, the the Matthew twenty six, Mark fourteen, and Luke twenty two uh, supposedly all contradict uh, John twelve. Uh, so, obviously, the Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke ones are when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he. Um, he goes with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit over here while I go over and pray. That's where he is, says, um, you know, if, uh, if you can save me from, um, from this uh, work, then let the cup pass from my lips. Right, right. Uh, John twelve twenty seven says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour, is, uh, is supposedly what it contradicts. Hmm. So... Hmm. You know, uh, did, did he did he ask God to save him from crucifixion? Well, it says, uh, uh, Lyle says that it's a failure to read the text carefully. Jesus was willing to die and do his father's will, and we see that in um, chapter 26 of Matthew. He asked if it were possible that if there were any other way to accomplish salvation, 
if the father was willing that he might be spared from crucifixion. Mm -hmm. uh, since there wasn't, and uh, it was uh, destined before the foundation of the world, um, uh, he went willingly. Mm -hmm. And so we see that when Judas comes and takes the, the, um, the temple guards and, and lays hold of him, he doesn't resist. Um, even though uh, disciples and Peter um, cut off the, the ear of the, one of the guards, Jesus heals it and goes with them and um, is confident in, in his action. Um, but it's, it's important to, to understand why Jesus is asking this too, because this is every sin that has ever been committed resting upon him mm -hmm. and here he's starting to experience what that work means so it's not i've heard critics say oh you know this is just you know why is Jesus so uh, scared here because he's just going to go take a three-day vacation and be, be good <laughs> well yeah that's nice and flippant for for those who uh who want to spit in god's face but um we we are don't we definitely don't have a true understanding of what our sin uh, does to God. This is a, a physical representation, so much so that uh, Jesus Christ's blood uh, in, in the garden. So um, he's under uh, immense, immense stress. Right. So, so he's praying. If it were possible, clearly it wasn't possible, right? And so, um, and so, because he had to die for the sins of the world. All right. Um, the next one is 192, and this is a pretty straightforward one, right? I mean, this is uh, uh, apparently uh, the critics say that this is a contradiction, but notice, and it, this is the question here is who carried Jesus's cross, right? Uh, John 19:17 says that J Jesus carried his own cross, right? Bear he bore his own cross. But there are passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that say that Simon carried Jesus' cross. So will the true cross bearer please stand up here? Was it Jesus or was it Simon? Yeah. Right? Well, yes is the answer. Right? Like a lot of these. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we need to understand uh, time periods. You're, you're, these are stories. You're, you're telling a series of events. And so not everything all happens at once. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, again, it's a subset fallacy, um, but uh, Jesus and Simon together carried it. Yeah, Jesus begins to carry mm -hmm. it, is unable to, has difficulty, and Simon then is recruited to help him to carry it. Right. So they're, so they're both carrying and, it. And, and uh, I, I believe it was Roman law, at any point in time, a, a Roman soldier could ask you to carry it a mile. In fact, Jesus uses that as an example of when a soldier asks you to carry his pack for one mile carrier for two mm. and mm -hmm. it's interesting here that um, Simon is being asked again uh, Jesus is, has been tortured he's been uh, flogged he's been whipped he's been you know every every bad thing uh, he still has the, the thorns resting on his head and so he is weak under this, this yeah. cross loss of blood all kinds of mm -hmm. things right? yeah. trauma that comes with all the beating that he sure hasn't been sleeping well yeah. Too, so, <laughs> yeah. i mean it's it's yeah. it's rough for him so um simon is recruited to help him carry well to, uh yeah. And so, so just because John 19, uh, 17 doesn't mention Simon doesn't mean that Simon wasn't there helping. Right? Mm -hmm. John chose to talk about what Jesus did in that particular instance, right? Hey, well, this is a long chapter, and so I think we're going to split this up into a, a couple different ones, maybe uh, two or three, depending on how many we want to do. But I think we'll stop here and 
and join us for our next one. So, mm. thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll we'll be back with uh, part two. Thank you.